This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, I, real quick, I call the podcast. Is that what you still call them? Because people call them pods now, right? I think that's what you call it. Or? I go back and forth. I think podcast is fine. A lot of times writing and I'll write pod. Okay. Or if I want to sound cool, like uh, we were recently in Cincinnati for economy. And if I saw like someone close by, I would call it the pod instead. So they would think, Maybe I was cooler than I was. The pod, T and P in capital letters. When I talk to Mindy, I call it a P cast and that always annoys her. Oh, yeah. Continue with that. Okay. So, Doug, we have another exciting product announcement, but I'll save that for a little bit later. This is actually part two of our previous episode. It wouldn't be part two of uh, any other episode. Uh, (laughs) So, (laughs) we're going to tackle the dilemma many early retirees face. When you're on the path to early retirement, you save a lot of money, you're frugal, and then all of the sudden you have to pivot to spending money and embracing perhaps a little bit more happiness in your life. So, Doug, where are we starting today? We're going to hop in and, you know, if you didn't hear the, f- the first episode, you know, check it out. It's, it's very good. It's, it's really good, but it kind of flows. And today we're going to continue on with the psychology of frugality, which I argue that the frugality um, obsession is kind of harmful, especially if eventually you will need to spend money. And, you know, not everyone is super frugal, but I think when you identify as like a frugal person and you make all your decisions based on being frugal and not wasting money and watching the bottom line constantly, you can make some weird decisions and then you end up at a spot where you're like, I have this huge pile of money and I can't like, I can't figure out how to spend it. I don't know what makes me happy. I don't know like what to do. And part of that can be related to guilt. So, you know, I'll, I'll quickly I'll jump in again and, and say, I don't have, I have some frugality tendencies in certain areas, but I wouldn't describe myself as being like frugal. I'm okay to splurge in, in certain areas. And in fact, we were, uh, Elizabeth and I were chatting with uh, some of our friends and Elizabeth was like, no, Doug is a, he's a spender. I have to make sure he doesn't spend everything, which I think was a little hyperbole because I mean, I, I obviously understand you don't want to run out of money, but I have a, a much bigger leeway for spending and I'm not, you wouldn't describe me as frugal, right? Or would you? Uh, I, I would. Definitely not describe you as a big spender. I mean, maybe frugal mild, frugal light, L-I-T-E. Okay, gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, so let's talk about the guilt associated with spending in retirement. So is that something that hit you, Carl? I mean, we in the last episode, you mentioned now it took you a little while to switch gears to actually spend some cash. Yeah, the guilt thing was a little bit different for me. I've Got the blog, 1500days.com, and I always felt like I should divulge my spending and if I bought something stupid. And I 
didn't want to feel guilty about it, but that's just an extrapolation of how I might feel with the day-to-day people. So I think there is some guilt because we're in this fire path, and especially if you read something like Early Retirement Extreme, you ever read that guy's blog or his book? I, I think he talks about living on like 7,000 a year and, and eating like rice and beans and living in like some grandmother's basement or apartment or something like that. And I've heard, I've heard about that, but I, I never read any of his stuff. Do you know him personally? Uh, I do not know him personally. But if that's your first entry, and maybe uh, Pete a little bit, Mr. Money Mustache, uh, these were all my initial uh, introduction to the financial independence movement. Those people are all pretty frugal. I'm not going to say they're wrong. Everyone needs to find their own path and do what makes them happy and comfortable. But you see that and they're your example. And then you kind of feel like you have to behave like them and you feel guilty when you don't behave like them. I, I think I, I like gradually shifted in my, my business and entrepreneurship gave me I guess some comfort because I was like, I can earn money if I need to, and I don't need to get another job. And that sort of confidence made me feel much better. But as you were talking, I remembered kind of the earlier days when Elizabeth, my wife and I were cutting our expenses and we would see other people spending in certain areas. And uh, of course, being judgmental as we do, um, you know, we're inside, we're part of the community and we're like, they don't get it. Like they're, you know, they're buying the fancy the fancy cars, which we always like to make fun of. But I definitely, I actually got some pride and felt better about myself, partially probably from looking down on the other people, <laughs> like to be honest with you. But, <laughs> but you're like, hey, we made a conscious decision to do X or not do X and we're, we're going to get a payoff later. So I think like the, the guilt portion is like the opposite of that, you know? So it's like, we, we did a good job by saving and being frugal and making that conscious decision. Now we're going against that. We're literally making the opposite decision, getting a $10,000 concert for fun. You know, that sounds crazy, right? Yeah, absolutely. So do you, have you ran across people that um, have retired and they're like, oh, I just can't, I can't get past like how much this is going to cost. Maybe a vacation, those can get pretty pricey, right? Yeah, I would say that is the default a- attitude for most people. I, I know someone, he's a great guy, a mutual friend. I know he's got lots of money, multi-million dollars, and uh, he shares a phone with his wife. And and uh, I guess that works for him. I think that would be a little bit inconvenient at times, especially considering how much a mobile phone costs. But yeah, it's weird. He calls phone, this is me, and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um yeah, I think that's the default status. I've hardly ever seen people. I'm trying to think of an example of the opposite: someone who's been super frugal and then kind of pivoted towards more of a spendy attitude. And I, I can't think of one. Can you, Dogger? Only maybe myself a little bit, because like I said, we were frugal in certain areas. But now I have pointed out a couple times. There's actually a couple nice guitars sitting in front of me, and this was just in the last couple of years where I had a guitar that's like 20 years old that was like $300 and it's fine. But I realized that I could get other guitars and it turns out I really enjoy having them. It's fun, like shopping for them and looking for them. And it's not, uh, it's not going to like go away in a flash. Like I get enjoyment and exercise my mind by playing the guitar. It could actually be social if I play with other people. So I'm, you know, I found something that is pretty expensive 
that even just whatever, eight years ago, I would have been like, I'm not spending two or $3,000 on a guitar. That's bananas. You could buy like six guitars for that price. So yeah, I've sort of shifted, I guess. Okay. And I think it can be toxic, toxic not to spend money. And, and I'm thinking of someone I know who's got an eight figure net worth and uh, they, they went on this big trip and they're like, oh yeah, we stayed at places that were one level above like a youth hostel. And we totally researched this and got the cheapest thing. I'm like, well, and he's older than me as well. I'm like, well, why would you do something like that? Is that the best use of your time? Uh, the older you get, I think the more valuable our time becomes because our, our bodies are running out. So I, th- I think it can, it can definitely be toxic. Uh, what do you think about that, Doug? I agree. And I think, I don't know who you're talking about, um, but I, I think sometimes, I think it can be toxic. I think sometimes people like that will say, I really enjoy the process, which can be true. But when you peel it back and similar to a previous conversation we had in part one, like I have, um, I've done the landscaping in my yard and I saved a good amount of money physically actually enjoyed it, but I don't feel like I need to do it again. So I wonder if, you know, they're continuing to research and save money and basically get like the shittiest accommodations that they can get. (laughs) For, for no good reason, when they could get just like average and not have to do the research and just spend their time doing something else. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, maybe they do enjoy it, but I have a hard time believing like constantly doing it is continually enjoyable. But on the first time, after the 20th time, it's like, just spend your time doing something else. Yeah. It, and the other thing too, if you're on some exotic trip and you're prioritizing for the cheapest place, you're not going to be, you might not be in the town center. So it might be a half hour or 45 minute ride. You're going to have to figure out some way how to get down there and you're limited in your time there. And it's just really what you want to do. Like, uh, so Doug, you said you've changed a bit and I think I have too. We just went on this New York trip, which was probably about 6,000. We're going to go to Hawaii and that'll be similarly expensive. I think we're going to take a helicopter ride. I've never been in a helicopter in my life, but it sounds like fun. It's cool. Yeah, get the video too. We did that when we went to Hawaii and you may as well get the videos just just a little bit more. Okay, awesome. I will take your advice. Uh, But yeah, I think not letting go, especially if you want to um, make the most of your time is not always the best idea. I I don't think you should be silly, but I, I think you should compartmentalize these things. You don't need to spend hours trying to find accommodations or the cheapest airfare, cheapest mm-hmm. time to fly. Just fly direct, you know? Like, why are people taking connections? Okay, so let's say Carl and I are nice guys, so we're not going to go and give unsolicited advice. We may trick people into asking us. You know, we do that kind of stuff. But let's say your friend asked you for tips and strategies on being able to like spend a little bit more money and maybe take a trip that is more extravagant. What strategies or tips would you tell? Yeah, I would back out a second and say the thing you should value most is your time, both just general in life and the time you're going to have on this trip. So like you said, uh, when we went to Germany, we actually got a direct flight and that was a priority, Denver to um, Frankfurt uh, direct. And that would be the number one thing. All, all decisions should come after after that because you want to maximize your experience while you're there. 
and maybe set up some parameters. You you don't want to spend like five X for an, a place. You don't need to stay at the Four Seasons, but many times you can find a reasonable place downtown or like an Airbnb or some kind of accommodations that aren't going to break break the bank. They still might cost more, but the thing with him and with us is it's not going to make any difference to the bottom line. You need to. I heard I was listening to Ramit Sethi talk. This was the Mad Scientist podcast, and and the Mad Scientist was like, "Oh, I will teach you to be rich." That's Ramit's book, and he was like, "Oh, I thought that was the title of your book was teaching me actually how to attain the money to be rich." But in the perspective I'm talking to you, Ramit, you're teaching me how to act like a rich person and how to value my time. And I think that's probably the mistake. My friend and many others, including myself, I'm probably the best example of this, is we're not, we're prioritizing money over our time and we need to switch that calculation. We need to realize that time is what really counts. And I think that's the right way to think about it. I know you don't have any kids, but I remember when I was young, Doug, before I had a wife or kids, I would come home and I'm just like, I've got nothing to do. Like it's four o'clock and I'm home from work. I've got like the next six hours before bed to just do whatever, like watch TV or take a bike ride or whatever. Now it's like, holy shit, I got to plan every minute and I still need like to double my day because I can't fit it all in. So time means more as we grow older and you need to realize that and use some money to compensate. And I, I didn't realize that I actually listened to a lot of remit stuff, maybe up until 2018 or 2019. Then, then I got burned out, but I literally was like finding every like podcasts that he had been on and I was listening to everything. I've actually taken several of his courses, but I wonder if hearing Ramit, even though it wasn't necessarily about finance or fire or anything like that, I never read his book, but I wonder if like some of those ideas from Ramit were like sort of introduced in a very gentle way. So I gradually got more comfortable with like, you know, quote, living a rich life where I'm like, this makes me happy. I'm going to spend money on food. It's really important, like feeds our body, blah, blah, blah. I eat garbage sometimes like tater tots, but I try to get, you know, the best quality food that I can. But yeah, that's, it's interesting that you, you brought up Ramit because I think, I think I picked up a lot of stuff from him in that area. Yeah. We should have, the sound check has to do with tater tots, but a quick side diversion. We should have, have you ever, that Mr. Beast guy, he's got like his own line of food, which is pretty weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe we could have our own line of tater tots, like tater tots elevated. They'll be like fancy tater tots. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good with like truffle oil or some kind yeah, of thing. my tot or something like that. It'll be <laughs> we'll great. to figure it out. Yeah. Mile high tots. Yeah. Coming to finer grocery stores everywhere. And it's just, um, actually, I could, we could do a product mock-up. You know, we'll just buy like the, the cheap uh, Sam's brand and then just put, you yeah. know, our picture... Yeah. Like uh, we'll be tater tots, like a little, our little tater tot bodies. Yes. I think that works. We'll actually go into Sam's Club and just bring <laughs> stickers and re relabel the product. What the hell is this? That would be pretty funny. Yeah. And that this actually is not the product announcement, but we'll get to that later. So we're talking about spending. And like I said, I'm, I'm okay with spending a little bit. And you're coming around, but how do we figure out? when the right time is to spend it is uh obviously we're dealing with an unknown we don't know when we're going to die and if we knew that it would be much easier <laughs> like one, one of those big factors but i mean the fear is like 
you're going to run out of money. So how do you know when you can start spending? Which I think is a riddle. I don't know if we're going to be able to answer that. But do you have any like key indicators to signal when it's okay to start spending more after you retired? Yeah, it's very complex and nuanced and everyone's got different levels of security or an amount they would feel more comfortable with. But I don't know. I think you should use the 4% rule and cross out the rule part and just make it a very basic guideline. But once you've accomplished that, kind of stick to it. And if you've gone way past it, then, hey, you've got permission to live a little bit crazier if you've doubled your amount. Then, hey, that's twice as much you could spend every year. And you should use that money to maximize your time. What do you think, Doug? The real answer is I don't know, but we can uh, riff on this a little bit. So one thing, like I'm still working and I probably will continue to work for a few years. I may take a sabbatical or something, but like I'm doing this kind of shit. So it's pretty fun and I could work on whatever I want to. Elizabeth is still working. I'm not sure how long she'll continue on. Um, but in part of our, uh, sort of exercise here on figuring out, like if we could spend more, like we're looking at a slow travel, a uh, couple trips coming up and that's pretty expensive. We're not going to Airbnb our house. We're just going to eat the, eat the cost for the mortgage. And then we're going to rent a house in a cool location, which when we used to do that before, it was maybe like 2,500, 4,000 bucks. Some of the places we're looking at now, it's like. 5,000 is like the starting point and then it goes up from there. So fairly expensive plus, you know, you got to pay for, you know, food and some other random stuff while you're traveling out there. So one thing that makes it difficult, and I'm just adding more complexity here, by the way. So one thing is we've kind of moved the, the target a couple of times where it's like, okay, here's our baseline expenses, but we actually, we don't want to be too concerned about what we're spending. We want to be able to go on trips. We're going to have more free time. So we're aiming for more like a fat fire uh, plus kind of area. So with that said, one thing that we kind of built in to potentially make it easier on the the early years. So you you stop working first couple of years, you're probably going to do more stuff because you're free. You have more time you're going to see what you'd like. Maybe you take more trips. Maybe you are just testing things out to see if you like it. So instead of our normal expenses for the first five years, we're looking at like 30% higher potentially. So we bake that in, which is sort of um, potentially risky depending on the market returns and sequence of returns makes it more complicated, right? So like I said, I'm actually introducing more complexity, but by budgeting it and planning ahead of time, like we're putting that in first five years, we're spending 30% more. And then you see how that projection goes. Any thoughts on that approach? Uh, I like it. It gives you a buffer too. Like, let's say you, you've got that accounted for for the first five years and some bad geopolitical event happens and the market just gets cut in half and there's a world war or some horrible shit in the world going on. Then you can just say, hey, guess what? We're not going to rent this fancy house. We're just going to hang out at home and go camping at a state park or something like that. So it gives you a little bit of a buffer with that, but assuming everything continues to go okay, then you've got that built into it, which I think is good. I mean, another variation on that is to have a a pile of cash before you quit that you're going to 
spend for the next four or five years on these fun things, or maybe you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to live on the amount I saved and then I'm going to get, I'm going to pick up scooters or whatever people do for side hustles now. And all the money I get from that is devoted to my vacation fund or my car fund or whatever my fancy hobby is. It's so easy to make money. I feel like there's a million different things we can do now to earn a little extra change. And just curious, so you've been retired for five years, coming up like in the next couple of days, right? Yeah, April, April 13th, I think actually. Wow. Cool. Um, however, like Mindy started working uh, around the same time that you s- stopped, right? Correct. So have you drawn down anything? And if so, when did you start drawing down? Uh, we have not drawn down anything. We did use a line of credit to buy the project house that we're working on, but we haven't sold anything yet. We might soon because interest rates on that line of credit were like 1% and now they're like 6%. So we might sell some things to pay that down, uh, but I'm not sure we'll even do that since the rent still covers all that interest and all the costs of the house. Do you have some indicator? on when you will start drawing down? I don't, right now, Mindy's money makes all that we need, just barely, but we don't have to draw down. So whenever she would leave her job or whenever we wanted to do something crazy, like I probably will buy a a new car, a new Tesla about a year from now. And at that point, we'll sell $60,000 worth of stocks and go buy the thing, use that to do it. Okay. And... Okay. Interesting. And, and that's the thing. Like we, we do the projections, like you were racing for the 1500 day mark and you got there and then turns out Mindy kept working. So it was all kind of pointless, not pointless, but it yeah. was all like a lot of intellectual exercise and stress that really didn't matter in the long run. Right. Yeah. It was moot. And if I could do it over again, if I would have known that was going to happen, I would have quit much sooner. Can you, I mean, I hear that example all the time. Like basically everyone's like, yeah, I should have quit a year sooner, two years sooner. I didn't know what I was doing. Like now that I got past it, like, do you see many examples of people where they're like, I should have worked another year? I've heard one story about someone who went back because they didn't know what to do with themselves, but I can't think of anyone who has said they should have worked one more year because they've ran down their money and granted up until very recently, we've been in a very exuberant market. The markets have outperformed their historical, what they've done historically. So no, I've never heard anyone say that, but I, I would, uh, if I was given advice, and this is, uh, most people probably won't take it, but, and I didn't take it, but I would say, err on the side of being a little bit more risky. You, you're only young once if uh, you, you can figure something out and I don't know, things usually go better than you think they will. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, the market has been favorable, but yeah, I I haven't run into anyone. And the thing is, um, I I can think of one or two people that have gone back to work after a year or two, but I honestly think, and I would, you know, I haven't like confronted that anyone, but they're not creative enough. Like that is on them for just going back to their old habits. There's probably the rare case where someone really loves their job and it's like actually their calling super rare. I can't imagine, especially the couple people I'm thinking of, like they went back to a corporate gig and I'm like, that's bullshit. There's no way that that's better than you figuring out what you actually like. And I think it's maybe like intellectual laziness that they didn't spend the time, the hard time figuring out like what makes them happy. And they just went back to the comfortable thing. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think that too. That's the default and easy path. But I think oftentimes the, the default and easy path is not the most rewarding path. So yeah, I completely agree. Your statement about not being creative enough is uh, is dead on. And often you don't need as much money you made from your job if you've been saving. You just need, you could take some risks and be creative and try out some different shit because you don't need that big pile. You've got the pile already working for you behind you in a coast five situation. And like normal, I'll make an aggressive statement and then I'll backtrack. And like, there is like, I really enjoy autonomy. So I can work on the kind of things that I want to work on when I want to work on it, control my schedule. Some people don't care as much. And that's fine. Everyone's different. And then some people actually like less autonomy and they want to be told what they should work on so they can, you know, run through the list of things that they need to complete. And it's very satisfying for them. So that's cool. I don't particularly enjoy that. And I don't like it when people tell me what to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. I agree. What's that saying? Some people love the chains that bind them or the cages that hold them in or something like yeah. that. But yeah, I can't stand that. Oh, Everyone's different. So that, that's cool. I understand that. Yeah. Okay. So how can retirees ensure they maintain a balance between enjoying life now and preserving their financial security for the future? So we kind of alluded to it, but do you have any broad points to mention yeah just don't postpone your happiness for some future thing that you think will make you happy that you think will make you happy uh, for, i've researched this a lot and most happiness doesn't come from an external situation it comes from internal an internal situation it comes from you so you could still be happy at your job or whatever you're doing you shouldn't postpone it and you even more important you shouldn't expect fire to make you happy because it probably won't. It's going to feel pretty much the same, except you'll have some more free time. Yeah. Free time to think about all the mistakes you made in your life or whatever. So it could be dark, right? I mean, it, uh, you know, to figure out what you like to do is not easy. And I maybe made it sound easy before, but it, it takes time and effort. So Carl, for you, what was maybe like the biggest one or two things after retiring to have brought you happiness that you were not doing before? It's probably things you would never expect, like just being able to go for a long walk around town and listen to a podcast or sometimes not listen to, to anything at all and just take notes and just think. That's where creativity comes from when your brain is bored. The best advice I could tell anyone to be creative and to come up with new ideas is, is to shut your phone off because then your brain will spin up and try to Think of stuff to entertain itself, and I, I get my best ideas. And the other one is probably just exercise. There's a lot of joy going for a workout first thing in the morning, uh, running, doing pull-ups, push-ups, and just, I don't know. I think that runner's high is a real thing, and I just feel better all around physically, mentally after I've done something like that. But those two things are things that you could potentially have with a job. They might be a little bit harder to fit in, but you can have them now. And one that you didn't mention there, but I know is a big factor for you is the community that you've been able to really kind of create here in Longmont or at least help support. So yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, we're so fortunate here in Longmont. It's the uh, the mecca of financial independence. So a lot of people will read Mr. Money Mustache, come visit, and then a lot of people even stay here and move here. And I'm that example. I didn't know what Longmont was until I read that. We weren't happy. We checked it out and uh, we love it. But yeah, the community stuff around here is so good. And I guess that's 
what I really spend my money on, like the concert, the concert will be cool. But the other cool thing will be like inviting members of our meetup group and having people come from all over the world actually to see this thing. I was just talking to someone this morning. But I think that's the real joy in life having, even if you're an introvert, uh, you still need some human contact and finding other humans who you can talk to about shit you want to talk about, who are going to be there for you, who you can tell your secrets to. There's a lot of value to that, maybe more value than anything else in life. Yeah, and we just came off a weekend of a lot of social stuff. So I I was like, ah, I don't have anything to do on Friday. So I sent a message out to Discord for the co-working space. And I was like, hey, how about happy hour? So eh, whatever, like eight people showed up or something like that. You and Mindy came, some other folks. We hung out, just had a couple of beers just for you know a couple hours or something like that. And then you ran a 5K and some of our other friends like Jake, Actually, Mindy ran too, and the the waffles on Wednesday, folk. Uh, every, everyone was there. Everyone was hanging out. Dusty was there, and you just get to hang out and chat, and no one's in a rush. We just hang out, which is nice because a lot of times, you know, if you go to a happy hour like after work, it's like, oh, I gotta, I could only come by for like ten minutes or something. But yeah, just hanging out is awesome. And then we get together on. I saw you every day. So <laughs> we got together on Sunday too, yeah. hanging out at another buddy's place. So, so that's a really interesting point. I want to say one other thing real quick. Like a lot of things we think we like, it's not the actual thing we like. It's the social aspect around the thing. And I can think of a couple right now. Like I own that fancy car, the Acura NSX. The best part about it was there was a group around here that would meet up every couple of weeks and you'd all get together. And I remember looking around one time and all the cars are parked outside and we're all in someone's backyard talking about who knows what, but the cars brought us together and we had that common thread and common link so we could find other things to talk about. And I think sports are the same way. What do you do when you go to a football game? You tailgate so you get there hours ahead and you're spending time with people or you're watching it with people in your basement or whatever. So I think a lot of these things in life people think make them happy, but it's not actually that. It's the hanging out with other people around that event or thing that actually makes them happy. What do you think about that, Doug? Absolutely. Yeah, and I could think, I could think of a couple examples too. Um, but but yeah, it's just like you have some reason to get together, and then you build those friendships. Like after that, and then you end up, you know, talking about something completely different. Yeah. So, all right, before we shift into something we may actually skip, which is uh, assessing the financial situation and investment security, that sounds really hard to do. <laughs> so we, we'll read some questions, but Carl, you do have um, a new a new product that we're rolling out. Yeah, we were approached by, of all things, uh, a company that makes cleaning products, and they wanted to know, Doug, if we would be interested in a private label toilet brush. Which nice. I think they heard, like Mindy and I sometimes joke around about it because every time we go to Ikea, she buys like <laughs> multiple toilet brushes for I don't know what reason. Our, our house is like filled with them. But anyway, yeah. And what they want to do with this product, what they're going to do is put our faces on it. So our faces, our heads are going to be the top of the brush. And then we'll have interchangeable uh, uh, like brushes that look like our hair that you could snap on. So if anyone wants to see what Doug looks like with hair, they could buy our Mile Hi-Fi toilet brush. Snap and they're different colors too. So if they want to see like a green mohawk or a green just uh, spiked hair job from the '80s, what Doug looked like is a <laughs> is a 13 years old. You can do it, and I think that'll be on our store in like a month or two. Nice. Yeah. Is it 
sort of like the the uh, the heads that you put on that are disposable that like they have soap in there or whatever. It can. There's going to be a button you press that that uh, squirts soap out out of our heads. It'll be like shampoo that comes out. But our heads will be. If you don't like the podcast and you want to get even with us, you can scrub your toilet <laughs> with our heads and our faces. And the the fluid actually comes out of our noses, so it actually gets underneath the, the rim of the bowl. So we we spared no expense as far as the design and R&D and stuff like that. And at first, yeah, it shot out of our eyes, but it was spraying in the wrong direction. So yeah, it really comes out of our nose, get that uh, under the under the rim area that is so dirty on, I've seen your toilet, Carl, and I don't know what you eat, but I think you need more fiber. I, yeah, or maybe too much fiber, and that's part of the problem. <laughs> you get explosions down there, kids are like, dad, what's going on? But yeah, environmentally friendly product too. You can swap out the brush. You don't have to throw the whole thing out every time. You just press a button, it pops right off, and you can stick the new one on there, our hair piece, and uh, go to town. It's going to be great. Nice. And we're also, we're going to be using um, the same heads on the adult massager that we have as well. So those will be interchangeable, different fluids in those though, right? So you're testing those out personally, right? (laughs) Not an adult massager, Doug. It's a personal massager. It's it's for everyone. It's for (laughs) kids too? I don't think so, man. I don't think it's for kids. No, if the kid's got a sore back, Doug, your mind is going to dirty places. It's like, (laughs) you could be pitchy in football and he just needs that, like, it's kind of like a Theragun, that thing, but better, better than that. So I don't know. Like, okay. What do people use Theraguns for? I don't know. I don't have one, but I think um, it's not for what you're thinking. <laughs> okay. But if you if you do want to support the show, we have a Buy Me a Coffee page, and we're attempting to uh, be ad-free, except for whatever dumb ideas that we can come up with, which I, I think they're actually decent ideas. I kind of want to do prototypes of some of these products. It's going to happen. We have a book coming out that that could actually be a real thing. And Doug, we have t-shirts. We keep forgetting to mention that, that that people get if they give us a certain amount of money. I can't remember what level that is. Maybe white asparagus on buy me a coffee. You get yeah. a t-shirt, which I am modeling right here. We just got a slightly tweaked design and they're, they're super comfortable, right? We just got them like a week or two ago. Yeah. They're very nice, a little brighter, more vibrant, um, really nice fabric. So, but we, we will have a, actually, I forgot about the store. I'll have that up before too long. I have the, the core pieces there. Buy me a coffee. You could check it out. You could support on a monthly basis or just a one-time thing. You get extra content. Like Carl and I post some pictures occasionally. Like you took a shitload of pictures at uh, Economy that you'll be posting soon. By the time this is live, they'll be up there, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, we had, we had a bunch of people with our shirts on, including a, a weather person from St. Louis. Is that where Kristen was from, I think? Yeah, Kristen. Shout out to Kristen. So uh, kind of a, a funny thing. We'll go on a minor tangent here. Basically, um, at some point in the past, uh, both Carl and I said, I would say derogatory things about meteorologists. And I did, I forgot that meteorologists are real people too. You know, they have feelings. They're trying to do their best most of the time. So we were uh, at Economy. I was sitting, minding my own business down in the hotel lobby. That's where all the fun shit happens, by the way. You sit in the hotel lobby and someone, Kristen, walked up to me and she was like, you're Doug, I have something to say to you. And she was like, I'm not sure if if it was you or Carl who... I have the biggest issue. It turned out it was me. Um, but anyway, we're fine. We're friends now. We gave her a t-shirt. 
And she told me that meteorologists are not full of shit. And I, I believe her. She's probably using our shirt now to scrub her toilet. <laughs> Chris, don't worry. We'll, we'll get you the toilet brush. It'll work a lot better than our shirt. And yeah, sh- so shout out to Kristen. We, we're sorry that we said anything bad. It was um, for entertainment purposes only. We're not meteorologists, but I think we probably could just pretend that we were. They're wrong all the time anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> Kristen, are you listening? <laughs> I guess you can't talk back to us. Okay, but it was wonderful to meet you, Kristen. All right, so the next set of questions here, which we're going to have uh, potentially four parts to this episode. So I, I actually enjoy the pace that we're running through, but assessing the financial situation and investment security. This is a lot more complicated, and I think we can list the questions in the show notes so that you could check some of these out. But I believe Carl and I can only really offer the ideas of like aim for the 4% rule, be flexible, and you know watch the markets, be smart about it, right? It's kind of a general be smart. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's okay. not a static situation. You retire and your money goes up and down every day. And- Pay attention to it and act accordingly. And here are just a couple of the questions. Again, check out the show notes. How can retirees evaluate their investment portfolios to ensure their position for long-term growth and security? Pretty tough, right? I mean, you could have like some allocations, but it gets extremely complicated. Uh, Maybe even while you're in the accumulation phase versus decumulation phase, like you need to change your portfolio potentially, depending on what you're aiming for. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's not a static situation either. You might want to change your balances over time to go more towards bonds if you want to be more conservative and you're in a money preservation situation instead of growth. Another area is inflation, taxes, healthcare costs, and it, generally your expenses. All those are going to be volatile anyway, but your expenses are going to change. So whatever you assume, it will change in the future. I 100% guarantee it. Am I right, Carl? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We have no idea what our futures are going to... I don't even know what I'm doing for lunch today, and that's like <laughs> half an hour away. So things are going to change, so the flexibility is important. And I will give um, a shout out to our friends, Eddie and Travis over at Downshift Financial. So we'll link up to them. They've been on a couple shows, and I believe we're going to have them on for... Uh, a short segment coming up soon for a specific question from a set of listeners. But generally, Eddie and Travis are people you could trust. They understand the FIRE community so they could you know, have a look at, at your portfolio and such, give you some advice, get you set up for success. And they're actually qualified, unlike Carl and I. Super qualified. Every time I ask Travis or I see someone on our Discord ask him a question, he... Yeah, I, I don't really understand the answer with uh, lots of research, uh, all that financial stuff. Super smart. I'm not throwing him under the bus, but he'll be like, oh, yeah, just look at this IRS document. Da, 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 da. Okay. Yeah. And it's the right information. And y- usually the sort of advanced questions have complex answers that are uh, boring, I would say. You know, not fun for us to talk about on the podcast so much. Other shows do a good job, but I don't think we would do a good job. No. It's hard for us to read that kind of stuff. All right. So we'll shift into tips for embracing spending during retirement. So let's talk about creating a retirement budget with guilt-free spending. 
So do you guys run a budget? Are you guys like into that kind of thing? Uh, we've kept track of our spending in the past, but right now we do absolutely zero of that. Okay. So it's like just expense tracking after the fact. Yeah. We try to do things consciously. Uh, we're frugal where it doesn't matter and we spend where it matters or whatever people say. So vacations, we're not going to go crazy trying to find the cheapest accommodations, but cheddar cheese at the grocery store or our gas will probably look for the cheaper version of that. Okay. I do like some Telemook, um, you know, extra sharp cheddar. Do you ever get that block at the yeah, Sam's? Actually, That's good. Yeah. We went to their uh, dairy in Tillamook, Portland, which is cool, right on the coast there. If you ever drive down the coast and it's awesome, they give you a free ice cream cone. Yeah. Life hack. So you walk in the place, real quick, side diversion, and they had this box that said, if you fill out a postcard to send to someone, and they pay for the post. It's just like, hey, I, like I could write you a postcard and they'll drop it. You give it to the person at the ice cream counter and they give you a free cone. And it was like a huge cone too. Like the scoop was as big as a softball. It was awesome. So hopefully they're still doing that. But That's awesome. Yeah. I went to the Ben and Jerry's um, a few years ago. It's, it's We were in Stowe, Vermont, but this place was in like Middleton. Any, anyway, Ben and Jerry's, they gave us a um, a cone too. It was pretty good. That's awesome. Good tour. Yeah. Go, go to ice cream factories. Like it's a, it's a good, okay. What are, what are the, what are we talking about here? <laughs> about creating a retirement budget and maybe keeping track of money and keeping track of spending and what folks should be doing around that. Got it. Okay. So you don't budget in general. We started to, and I mentioned it a few episodes back that like, we're trying to like rein it in a little bit. I'm not a big budget person. We were doing expense tracking. But let me ask you this. So you just went on the New York trip and you knew that you were going to be spending some money and you were like, we're just going to optimize for like enjoyment and convenience and take direct flights and that sort of thing. Did you have a top line where you were like, this is too much. We are not going to do that. Or is there some threshold where you're like, this is more than we want to spend. Yeah, I think for the lodging specifically, we didn't want to spend a whole lot and it turned out it would it would have been very expensive if we paid for it, so we just used points. Um I was kind of surprised how much the shows cost. They were both like around 300 bucks a ticket. Uh but no, I I guess I had not considered that question. I'm not going to stay at the Plaza or whatever those fancy hotels are there, but yeah, even like a normal hotel, so like I think it was spring break, so like five or six hundred bucks a night, which is oh, and not for a you're not staying in a big room either. It's New York, some tiny thing, no pool, no free breakfast, no waffle machine, nothing like that. Man. But I hadn't considered an upper number. Okay. And then I don't know, what was like the most expensive dinner you had or something up there for the full family of four? Oh, so that's an interesting thing. This is actually a good story. Our mutual friend Bob came into town. And it's like a, almost a two-hour bus ride to come in from where he was at. So I'm like, you know, I really want to take him out uh, for for a nice dinner, him and his wife. So I'm like, hey, Bob, where should we go? And he suggests this place. And the first thing I did was look at the prices on the menu. I'm like, oh, shit, it's a lot of money. And I almost said, hey, Bob, why don't we go somewhere else? But I'm like, nah, you know what? This is going to be a good place. He knows the area. He, got, he asked friends where he should go, and they said it should be this place. So... The meal for the six of us was about $300, which is probably the most I've ever spent on a meal in my life. Okay. Interesting. Was it worth it? Uh, 
Yeah, it was super good. But like we talked about earlier, the thing that made it great was the conversation with friends. I don't think I would go there on my own. Like it was Italian food and uh, Italian people get very serious about their food. So I'm going to offend a lot of people. But like the difference between the worst lasagna I've ever had and the best isn't that great. Like I'm, I'm going to say something which will really make people mad. Are, are you ready, Doug? Doug, you have no Italian in you, do you? No. I, I even like Olive Garden. Yeah, unlimited breadsticks and salad. I think the salad tastes good too. I love that salad. Mindy hates it. Like the chicken parmesan. God, I'm getting hungry now. We, we don't have an OG in town, but there's one in Fort Collins. We, um, I, I like uh, red lobster also. Yeah. I haven't been in a long time, but like those cheddar, cheddar bay biscuits. biscuits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Again, it's uh, our white trash um, background, like fits in really well. I, I don't know. It makes sense to me. And the thing is, I think, like, I enjoy, like, really good food, but sometimes it is hard for, I'm like, ah, that is kind of expensive. Sure, it's great. You're not going to eat there every day, so it's cool. That works, but also the opposite end of the spectrum. So, like, tater tot food truck. That, it's like, that's the story. You're like, the food was great. It was pretty inexpensive. We stood outside. We had on picnic tables or whatever. So, it's like, you can go cheap or expensive, but if you're in, like, a weird olive garden zone it would be like fuck that we're not going to olive gardening we're not going to go to like some chain but if you go low end uh that that could work too yeah the olive garden zone the mid zone <laughs> but so, sometimes those real cheap meals like I, i'll bet there is a tater tot food truck if not uh some listeners should do it because it would be epic yeah loaded loaded tots yeah I, I think that, that experience might be just as good as the fancy place i went to in new york yeah so we kind of alluded to the sort of categories that you might be able to establish. So we've talked food, maybe like travel. Are there some other areas where it's like, hey, this this is a good use of your money? It'll be different for everyone, but you've talked um, maybe a little bit about health too. Yeah, food travel, I think you should definitely prioritize uh getting your ass in shape, especially you've been sitting at a desk for the past 20 years. So like our health club is 700 bucks for a year for a family membership, which is a great value. We've got a pool, a weight room, a running track, like four different facilities. And why did I ever hesitate spending money on that? And the other thing I'll say, a quick side tangent is a lot of things become cheaper in retirement too, right? The world's a little bit different, but a lot of people still drive to work. Uh, they have to have clothes. They might have to live in a certain place. So I think people don't talk enough about that. Uh, you might be able to walk or bike to places. You're not going to be spending the same on gas. You might not need two cars anymore. So uh, there's a lot of things you can do to save money as well. That'll just come naturally because you don't have the baggage right. on work associated. Yeah. And I, I didn't even think about how, yeah, the costs do come down. So you're an AARP member, right? So how, how does that, you get the senior discount in most places. So is that pretty good for you? Yeah, I, I'm not actually an A. How old do you have to be to join that thing? I think you could join at any time, but but you get the actual senior discount of places. Like if you go to the movies or whatever, right? Man, they, they probably keep lowering the age of that. No, but I am in the opposite thing where the kids have a cut off and like the kid's 13 and at 12, she would get the cheaper like price for the ticket. It's like two bucks cheaper and all okay. that. Uh, so I, I think I might have said she was 12 one time when she, she had just turned 13. So it was a fine line, but it was a line I crossed. <laughs> you knew it. And she was like, Dad, I'm, I'm 12. You're like, shut up. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. So we got to wrap it up. And yeah, like I said, I think we're going to do another episode of this. And Carl, do you have any question that you want the listeners or viewers to answer as a thought exercise? Hmm. I'm looking at how we've compiled some of these questions. Did we ask question number one at the end of the, at the beginning of the first one? I think we did. I I thought we, (laughs) we'll ask that one and then uh, another one too. Okay, well, we'll ask two questions. And, uh, you can either respond to these over our email. What's our email? Doug at milehighficlub.com. Doug at milehighfi.com. Oh, I'll remember it someday. Oh, shit. Or, it's in the show notes. Like, you don't have to remember. It's in the show notes. Yeah, so it's in the show notes. email us. Yeah, and you, or you could leave a comment on YouTube, and we will look at those, and we may discuss your answers on a future episode. So, yeah, let's do two. So, I'm, I'm going to pick one, and you pick one. So, I'm going to... I'm going to pick number two just because it's number two. How did you know when you were financially secure enough to increase your spending in retirement? And perhaps as a corollary to that, what did you bump up the spending on? What strategies have you found helpful in overcoming the mental barriers associated with spending in retirement? So those are the people that already hit retirement. But if you have not yet... What things are you doing to get ready to start spending and not be so, you know, tight fisted on that big pile of cash that you're sitting on? Yeah, that's a good one. And, you know, Bob, who I was just talking about, might be a good one to interview because I think he has, I know he spends a little bit, so he might be a good person to talk through some of these questions. Or Bob, if you're listening, you're probably not. But if you are, let us know. Yeah, Bob was my roommate in Cincinnati, so... Yeah, we should have him on. I forgot that we haven't had him on. We just haven't had time to record with him. So, all right, cool. We'll uh, catch you next time, Carl. Cool. See you, Doug. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five. And uh, actually, we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. We were just at a friend's house over the weekend, and it was kind of like, kind of like a covered dish, but it was like bring snacks. I think, you know, they made a charcuterie plate, you know, meat and cheese, some nuts. Uh, he did a great job. Our friend Eric did a great job. So there were crackers and trying to remember little dried fruits or something, jelly, yeah, spicy mustard, 
And what did you guys bring? Yeah, super good. We brought Mediterranean stuff. So we bought piece, we brought pita, and then we brought, I think it's a Lebanese garlic sauce called Tum, T-O-U-M. That's super good. I, I love garlic. And we brought homemade hummus, a big plate of that, or a big bowl of that. And, and Doug, I, I especially liked your idea and what you brought. So I did uh, tater tots. I often, and you've seen this, Carl, I will make like really complicated shit and spend days on it. So at the, for the Super Bowl party, I made like pulled pork and then I made homemade mac and cheese. And it took me like two days to do it. Like everything was like scratch made and not the noodles, but like it was really good, but it took me forever. So this time I was like, people like simple. So yeah, tater tots. And I brought stuff for loaded tater tots. So it was like, uh, green onions, sour cream, cheddar cheese, and uh, oh, I made Southwest ranch, and it was just like ranch, and I put in a little cumin and a little couple squirts of hot sauce. But it was a hit. Like I, I was like, I don't know if people really dig this, but like people devoured it. It was gone. Yeah, I think it was the biggest hit. It's kind of it, those that kind of thing always amuses me because that kind of thing tastes so good and it's so simple and easy. I'd yeah, and I'm kind of trashy, but to me, that's just as good as going out to a, a fancy steakhouse. Like, I, I probably actually appreciate that a little bit more, but. <laughs> yeah, it's comfort food. Yeah, I mean, exactly. We come from the same white trash background, I think. So, like, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Or, you know, you ask, like, my favorite pizza often, and you come from a, you know, a, a town with a great pizza tradition, which I appreciate. And I'm like, you know what? We ate at fucking Pizza Hut and it was delicious. And I will still go to a Pizza Hut buffet and it's great. They have like awful salad. Kids are sneezing on it. It's filthy. The whole thing is disgusting. But I'm like, I'm getting hungry thinking about it now. Yeah. I, I love the Pizza Hut buffet. We do this bike <laughs> ride across Iowa and they'll have it there. And they have another place called Pizza Ranch, I think. like a Oh, pizza yeah. Hut, and they'll have that dessert pizzas with like apples or cherry stuff Shit. on top. And I just go crazy, man. I can't control myself at buffets. So like 3,500 calories later, and I can waddle out of the place. But yeah, that's a, uh, man, that's my happy place. Yeah, that Pizza Ranch. I know what you're talking about. There's yeah. one, uh, actually, I have two nice memories uh, with my parents. One, uh, my dad and I were driving a U-Haul from Georgia to Montana and we're driving through Rapid City. So like we had a big fucking U-Haul, like 17 footer, I think. And we had a trailer hauling my truck on the back of it. So we were driving this, you know, little caravan and we stopped in Rapid City, check out Mount Rushmore, but we ate lunch at a, I think a pizza ranch. Yeah. And it's a, they have a lot of other food there too, but yeah, it was a, a filthy, everything's fried. Everything was fried. And then the other uh, was a Pizza Hut buffet, like driving to Alaska. We hit one in, uh, I think it was called Lewistown, Montana. Small little town. We stayed at a shitty mo motel, but I was like, there's a Pizza Hut right next door. We got to eat there. So we got the Pizza Hut buffet. Yeah. One last question about buffets. Do you ever go off the rails? Like when I go to a buffet, sometimes the first thing I'll do is go directly like to the ice cream machine or like the, <laughs> the, the pudding and then I'll go to pizza and then maybe I'll have like three token pieces of lettuce like at the end just to so i feel a tiny bit better about myself do you go in order like i, I feel like i'm an adult i can do whatever i want now yeah no i try to keep it classy so i do i do the salad course up front 
Because I, I mean, basically, if I have anything better than uh, the salad afterwards, I'm not going to go back and regress. So I get the salad up front, hit some of the fried foods, and then the desserts where you can do some pretty crazy uh, mix and match and stuff where like you get cookies, then you put ice cream on that, yes. and then you put pudding on that, and then you end up with you know, a stomach ache, basically. Yeah, it, it's great. It's something you pay like eight bucks for if you went to like Cold Stone Creamery and, and it's just like an afterthought there. Yeah. Awesome. Eight bucks, probably more than that. Now I haven't been to Cold Stone in like forever or any of those fancy places because I am I am cheap. So I'm like, I could buy like a half gallon of ice cream for the price of like one scoop. Yeah. So I, I can't do it. Do you go to those fancy ice cream places? No. The one thing I do like to do, though, you ever have the brownie Sunday at Sam's Club? It's like a buck fifty, and they put like four brownies in there and hot fudge and ice cream. That that one is worth it. It's probably still a little bit cheaper if you do it yourself, but then you got to have a lot of ice cream and a lot of brownies and all the hot fudge in the house. So I make an exception for that. Or sometimes, so Mindy used to be totally embarrassed about this. So we'd go into Costco and we'd order that yogurt, and then we'd ask, like, they've got the chocolate mochas and they've got a big thing of Hershey's right there and I would always say hey can like can you put a squirt of that in there I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it they're like nah we're not allowed to do that so I'm like okay fine so I'm like hey we're gonna bring our own if we try to give them money to do this and it's like, that is so embarrassing we can't do that I'm like well why not there was one time I even I bought a Costco sized thing of the chocolate while we were shopping in the store and, and used it. yeah and then I used <laughs> another thing but I tried to pay them for it and they won't, like, this could be a money, a profit center for them. Maybe I'll write the CEO a note. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 that's, that's a great idea. I was going to say, you could like stand next to it and like, hey, we're selling syrup over here. Like, you guys are not filling the need. There's obviously a lot of, a lot of people that need that chocolate syrup on something. Yeah. 